0: You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at Nielsville.org. Well, good morning once again, Nielsville. 11 o'clock service. Energetic, awake. You have no excuses, right? <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, this morning we are going to be continuing in Matthew. So I preached. Two weeks ago, and we were in Matthew 14, so this week we'll be in Matthew 15. If you can flip open in your Blue Pew Bibles, that's page 820. So if you want to follow along there, or of course, the text will be on the screen as well. Matthew 15, we're going to start right at the beginning in verse 1. It says, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father." So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, So, who here has traditions of some kind or another? I'll raise your hands, raise your hands, let's get a lot of energy flowing. Okay, most of us have traditions of some kind or another. We might not even consciously think of them, but we all have certain things that we like to do. We have habits. A lot of families have Christmas time traditions, right? Certain things you do every year around Christmas time. Or couples might have anniversary traditions, families might have birthday traditions. My wife and I actually have a tradition on Valentine's Day. We like to go to Buca di Beppo. Now, that is a high-quality Italian restaurant. Not super fancy, but it's amazing. I mean, Buca di Beppo is delicious. This year, we went and they had this, this deal for Valentine's Day where they give you a heart-shaped lasagna. this huge lasagna, basket full of garlic bread. To be completely honest, the lasagna was not totally heart-shaped. It was a little, little weird, but it was still delicious. We had some leftovers. It was an awesome time. We like to do that every year. We've done that since since we were in high school dating, as a matter of fact. And so we have a lot of those traditions in our lives, a lot of things we like to do repeatedly. And traditions aren't just family or couples or individuals. Traditions can also be societal, right? They can be religious or cultural. So in America, we have the traditions of baseball and apple pie, right? Those are American traditions. Those are things we love in America. There's all kinds of traditions that pervade our culture, and the culture in Jesus' time was actually no different. They had traditions just like we do. And And when the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, approach Jesus at the beginning of this passage, and they ask him about the tradition of the elders, they're not talking about a, a family Christmas tradition or a dinner at an amazing Italian restaurant. They're talking about a religious tradition, a religious and cultural tradition that all Jews in their time would have known about. The tradition of the elders was a set of religious rules that had been developed over centuries by Jewish teachers. It had been developed as rules based on Scripture. They were not rules in Scripture, but based on Scripture to help good Jews follow the law as perfectly as possible. They wanted to be the most perfect religious people possible, And so they developed this huge code of laws, adding on to the commands of Scripture. And to be a good Jew at this time, you had to follow these rules. They held you to these standards. They were very, very strict. The tradition of the elders was a big, big deal. And so any self-respecting Jew, and especially any self-respecting religious teacher, would have held these rules to the letter very, very, very strictly. And so these religious leaders approach Jesus to ask him about a specific tradition. One of these rules. They ask him about washing hands before eating. And as a disclaimer, it's flu season. Wash your hands before you eat, okay? I'm not going to tell you in this sermon to not wash your hands before you eat. But the hand washing they're talking about here is very different from the hand washing we do today. Back then, their knowledge of hygiene was pretty basic They did not have advanced medical science. They didn't know about germs, really. And so they didn't wash hands to avoid getting sick, you know. But they washed hands to be clean in a ritual sense. It was a religious issue. It was a matter of purity, of being clean before God. In the Old Testament, in the Bible itself, there are a lot of rules about being clean or unclean. What makes someone clean or unclean, pure or impure, and, and to go into the temple, the priest would have to make sure he was pure. Otherwise, he would die if he went into the innermost part of the temple unclean. To eat the food that was sacrificed, the, the priest would have to be clean before they ate it. And so this rule, this hand-washing rule, was something that the religious teachers had added on. They said, oh, well, if we need to be clean before God, we need to make sure we're always being as pure as possible. And so this hand-washing rule was one of these rules that they had added on about making sure you were pure. And so they approach Jesus with this question, and they're very serious. It says they came from Jerusalem. Now, Jesus and his disciples at this time were in the region of Galilee in Israel, which is about 90 miles away from Jerusalem. So they're not that close together. To put it in perspective, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, is about 80 miles away. So that's about an hour and a half, two hour drive, right, from from this area, Harrisburg, 80 miles. So Jerusalem and Galilee are 90 miles apart, And these religious leaders traveled all the way to Galilee to call Jesus out about this one rule. They traveled all the way in a time without cars. They either had to walk or if they were lucky, they could maybe ride a donkey. It was a huge undertaking. They were serious about this rule. They meant business. They wanted to tear Jesus down. And when they got to him, I'm sure they were thinking they had him backed into a corner. They must have thought that when they asked Jesus about this rule, he was going to be like, guys, you're right, I messed up. You know what, I'm not the son of God after all. I I should retract. I'm just going to go, I'll I'll stop teaching now. That's probably what they thought was going to happen. But instead, when they ask Jesus, why are you allowing your disciples to break the tradition of the elders? Jesus turns around and throws a question right back at them. He says, why are you using your tradition to violate the commands of God? Why are you placing your man-made tradition above the law of God himself? And he gives a specific example. He's not just making some baseless accusation. He gives a specific example of how they do this. He says that they violate the commandment to honor their father and mother. Who here has heard of the Ten Commandments? You guys have heard of the Ten Commandments, right? very basic Sunday school thing. It's, it's the foundation of the law in the Old Testament, these 10 foundational commands that God gave to his people. Command number five is honor your father and mother, right? So we're supposed to respect our parents. We're supposed to obey our parents. As we get older and they get older, we're still, still supposed to love them and care for them and even support them as they age, It was a big deal to honor your father and mother, and in fact, in the Old Testament, there was a law that said, in extreme cases of disobedience and disrespect, the child could be put to death. They took this very seriously. But yet, there was a religious tradition, one of these traditions of the elders, that said, if someone uses their resources for God, if they say, oh, all these things that I have this money this property, this livestock, whatever it is, I'm going to donate it to God. I'm going to devote it to God. They could keep it for themselves for a while. They didn't have to donate it right away, but they could shirk their responsibility to care for their parents. And so they use this religious rule about donating your things to God to avoid caring for their parents, to avoid one of the most foundational commands in the Old Testament, honor your father and mother. And so this is a serious accusation, and Jesus sums up what's at the heart of it in verses 8 and 9. If you look back down or look up on the screen, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, what's really going on is that these leaders have made looking righteous and looking religious appearing pious on the outside, they've made that the standard for being a good Jew. It's all about how good you look on the outside, and the quote that Jesus uses from Isaiah actually sheds a lot of light on this situation. That quote that Jesus used from Isaiah, when it was originally written, it was written centuries before Jesus' time to the people in Jerusalem who were facing an invasion from the Assyrian army. So this big empire, the Assyrian Empire, had already toppled dozens of kingdoms in the area. They had taken down most of Israel. And Jerusalem was facing an invasion. They were terrified. But God told his leaders, he told the king, trust in me, I will deliver you. Don't go running off trying to save yourselves. Don't turn to other powers to save you. Just trust me, I will deliver you. And many of the religious leaders... Many of the leaders of Jerusalem who claimed to be so pious, who looked so religious, instead of trusting in God, they turned to Egypt for help. They turned to this other superpower for help. The nation that hundreds of years before had enslaved the Jewish people. The nation that definitely did not worship God. A nation that was no better than the Assyrian Empire. They turned to them and they did not trust God they they looked religious on the outside but their hearts were not with God there was no faith in their hearts and so Jesus compares these Pharisees to those people they have no faith in their hearts they look nice and religious on the outside but there is no true faith their heart is not with God in a lot of ways they're like my dishwasher and I'll explain what I mean who here has ever had like a really bad dishwasher anyone yeah most of you are pretty blessed that's good Yeah, bad dishwashers are terrible, let me tell you. My wife Tamara is really sweet. She does most of the stuff around the apartment. She's awesome, she really takes care of our house. But unloading the dishwasher is one of the few things that's simple enough for me to handle and usually remember to do. So I do that, usually I'm the one who unloads the dishwasher. And our dishwasher is terrible. Most of the time when I'm unloading, I'll pull out a cup or a bowl and on the outside it looks fine, I'm starting to put it away. And all of a sudden, I catch a glimpse of the inside, and there's all this gunk. There's just a bunch of crud lodged in there. And sometimes it's a cup we drink water out of. I mean, it's dirtier than when we put it in the dishwasher. It's so frustrating. And if I'm being honest, sometimes I, I do just put them away because, you know, I have other things to do. Uh, but, but usually I don't because I'm not that terrible, you know. Usually I have to take the dish back, I have to wash it by hand, or put it back in the dishwasher and just run it again if I'm feeling lazy. But, and that usually doesn't work, so I have to wash it by hand anyway. So our dishwasher is terrible. It cleans the outside, but not the inside. And that's what these Pharisees' religious rules were like. See, the Pharisees thought that their uncleanness, that their sinfulness was about an external appearance, was about their external actions. They thought it was all about cleaning the outside of the person. But really, what they failed to realize is that it was their hearts, their insides, that were filthy. They were so focused on washing their hands while their hearts were accumulating filth, and that's why Jesus says in verses 18 and 19, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The Pharisees had mislocated the very core of our problem. They thought that human sin, the thing that separates us from God, the thing that causes pain and misery, they thought it was located on the outside. They thought it could be taken care of by washing yourself, by being pure. But they failed to see that it's the heart where sin is located. Sin is not just external actions, it's a condition of our hearts. Our hearts are where sin and uncleanness and rebellion are located. Our hearts are what separate us from God and cause pain and misery. The Pharisees in Jesus' day like to call themselves the guides of the blind. They thought of themselves as leading blind sinners to God. But Jesus in this passage has another title for them. He calls them the blind guides of the blind. He says they do not see. And there's two things that they don't see. First of all, because they're so reliant on themselves, so reliant on their traditions, they don't see the condition of their own hearts. They don't see their need. They don't see their sinfulness. They don't see the fact that they're as far from God as can be because they're just focused on how religious they look. And the second thing they don't see is Jesus. See, last week, we were, or two weeks ago, I should say, we were in Matthew 14, and there were three stories in Matthew 14 that revealed who Jesus was. He fed the 5,000, right? This amazing miracle of feeding these huge crowds with only a few loaves of bread and some fish displayed his power and his compassion for those people. Showed that he was God, but a God who loves us and cares for us. And then again, after that, he walked on water in the middle of a storm and saved a drowning disciple. He showed his power, he showed his might, but he showed that he cares for us. That he's God Almighty, who is compassionate and loving. And then after that, after being up all night dealing with this storm and the disciples, these crowds come to him and he heals them once again. So he shows once again his power, his might, that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. But he's a Lord who loves, a Lord who is here to heal the broken, to forgive sinners, to care for us. And so these Pharisees, despite all the evidence of who Jesus was, they were blind They could not see who Jesus was. They could not see their need for him. They were blind to their own hearts and to the identity of Jesus. And we can do that a lot ourselves. We have a lot of traditions that we rely on, just like these Pharisees did. In a lot of Baptist churches, especially back in the day, but even sometimes today maybe, they had rules against dancing. I don't know if anyone here has ever been to a church like that. Of course, as Presbyterians, we don't have rules against it. We just don't do it. But but back. Wow, you guys related to that one, okay. But these Baptists, they made this a really big deal, right? You can't dance, it's inappropriate, it's it's immodest. And of course, that's a very obvious example, but we all have certain traditions, certain behaviors that we rely on to make ourselves feel good, to look religious, to look decent. Even if someone isn't that religious now, the big term being floated around is decency, you know, be a decent person. You guys may have seen that around. You know, we rely on our behavior, on our habits to be decent, to be religious, to be good, all the while not seeing the desperate sinful condition of our hearts, our need for Jesus, and not really recognizing recognizing who Jesus is, that he is the Lord, that he is the Lord who has come to save us. So outward piety is no substitute for a humble heart of faith. That's the big message in this passage. If you don't get anything else, get that outward religious behavior is no substitute for a heart that places its faith in God. You can look as religious as you want. You can go to church as many times as you want. You can be involved in church functions. You can listen to only Christian radio. You can do as many things as you want. But if your heart Is not submitted to God. If your heart is not with God, it's worthless. Even if those things are good. The point of Jesus' argument with the Pharisees wasn't to say that washing your hands before eating is bad. His point was to say these traditions have no value if your heart is not with God. Immediately after our passage, there's another story that I want to summarize for you. We're not going to read the whole thing. There's a a story starting in verse 21, and the header is the faith of a Canaanite woman. So this woman approaches Jesus right after he's had this discussion with the Pharisees and, and talked about what defiles a person. This woman approaches him, and she asks him for help. She's a Canaanite, so that means she's an outsider. She's not a good, religious, pure Jew. And of course, at this time, being a woman was also a serious liability for her. Being a woman meant that the religious leaders would not have respected her. So she's a Gentile. She's an outsider. She's not respected in society. She's basically the polar opposite of what these religious leaders would have looked for in a good, righteous, pure Jew. She's the exact opposite. And yet, she comes up to Jesus. And what she says to him, first thing she says is, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Immediately, this woman who I am 100% sure was not following the traditions of the elders, cries out to Jesus. She recognizes her need. Unlike the Pharisees, she sees that she is needy, that she is weak, that she needs help. And she calls him Lord, Son of David. Son of David was a title for the king. She is crying out to him, asking for help and recognizing who he is. She sees the condition of her heart, of her life, And sees who Jesus is, unlike the Pharisees who are blind, despite all their supposed religious insight. This humble woman has a heart for God. There's no coincidence that this story comes right after our passage. It's not just there by accident. That's what a humble heart of faith looks like. Coming to Jesus, admitting your need, and recognizing him as Lord. So, what about you? Where's your heart at? It's really easy to get caught washing your hands, cleaning the outside, and let your heart accumulate filth. I have to tell you, as someone who works in vocational ministry, someone who works at a church, it's easy for me to fall into this trap. It's really easy for me personally to substitute my work at the church for my relationship with God. It's super easy to say, oh, well, you know, I prepared for the teaching, so I studied the Bible. I was at the church a lot. It's so easy for me to fall into this trap of making these external behaviors that make me look religious replace a heart for God. And anyone who works in ministry will tell you that. It's a deadly trap. But it's not just a trap for us. It's a trap for every single believer and non-believer. What behaviors do you have? What traditions do you have? What rules do you have that comfort you and make you feel nice and religious, nice and decent, nice and good? What rules are you falling back on and and maybe are blinding you to your heart's condition? Is your heart with God? I don't care how many times you've been to church. I don't care how many volunteer programs you've helped with. There's a lot of good things to do, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do these good things, but they are not a replacement. Outward piety is no substitute for a humble heart of faith. So are your rules, are your behaviors, are they blinding you to the sinfulness of your own heart, to the need of your heart? And are they blinding you to who Jesus is? This week, let's seek to recognize our need, and recognize Jesus for who he is as the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and the one who has come to save us, to heal the broken, to forgive the sinner. Let's ignore the external behaviors and let's focus on our hearts. Let's pray.